Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I am your host, Jonathan. Now, before we get into tonight's episode, I want to take care of a couple of things first. Number one, I want to thank all of you who have liked the Facebook page, who have joined the Facebook page, who are following this series. Um, I, I honestly ha- have never had that many people like a thing I have done pretty much ever. So thank you very much. I have started a Facebook group, uh, community, I believe it's called now, where people can hang out, share ideas, share stuff they've done, make suggestions, uh, make comments, hopefully positive ones, on the shows that I'm trying to put out. And, And yeah, so thank you. Number two, which is a bit more serious, uh, I, I, I'm recording this and looking across the street where my neighbors are gathering, uh, having friends pull in, family, extended family pull in by the car load. Everyone's hugging, everyone's wandering in and out of each other's houses. And uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Social distancing is not just for strangers. I mean, yes, I am a stranger. Uh, I'm also a a writer by profession, so um, social distancing, not a problem for me. Been practicing it since a very young age. But social distancing in general, especially now, has nothing to do with whether you know the person or not, whether they're family, whether they're loved. I mean, I am looking forward to the day where I can actually go out and hug my extended family, but uh, or my chosen family, I should say. But right now, not the time. Not the time. Uh, if, if you have a really close relative and they haven't been living with you in your house, don't have them over. Don't. don't. And, and don't go visit them. Remember, it's not the people who are currently sick or in hospitals who are going to make this pandemic drag on forever and and turn our lives into a very bad sci-fi movie. It's the asymptomatic people, the ones who are carrying the virus but otherwise seem fine. So protect yourself and, or even if you're not protecting yourself, Think about protecting others and, and just just stay away. You know, social distance. It's now a verb. So, and that being said, <laughs> let's move on to the show. Who uh, Who's getting a little sick of being isolated, being quarantined, looking at the same four walls every day? I'd like to take you on a little virtual trip. Not just through space, but through time. That's right, we're going to go back to the awesome early 70s. Right along the Gulf Coast state of Mississippi, in the wonderful, wonderful city of Pascagoula. As we look at 
the weird tale of Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. But before we go there, we need to actually set the stage of what the early 70s were like as far as UFOs go, or as far as UFOs went. Um, in 1969, Project Blue Book was sunsetted. The government, as far as we know from that point forward, was not studying unidentified flying objects. According to them, they had studied everything as thoroughly as possible, and most of the cases could be explained, or could be rationalized, or could be swamp gas, <clears throat> as perpetrated by J. Allen Hynek, which he'll make an appearance later in the show. But once we got past 1969, in the 1970s, we saw a resurgence of some rather prominent UFO cases. Uh, November of 1975, Travis Walton was abducted from his job of being a logger in the woods of northern Arizona, Snowflake, Arizona, believe it or not. Uh, you may know the Travis Walton case if you watched the very inaccurate f movie Fire in the Sky. But unlike a lot of UFO abduction cases, Travis Walton, from day one of telling his story of what he experienced up until today, has not changed his story at all. He has changed his ideas about what may have actually occurred, but the events themselves have not changed. And it's not like he's doing it for the money. Let's go look at another case. Carl Higdon, October of 1974. He was an oil drilling foreman up in Wyoming. He was abducted during a hunting trip not just Carl himself, but also the elk he was hunting. You know, he, he claimed he was abducted by an alien. The famous line, while he was under hypnotic regression, was the alien saying, the sun burns him. And while aboard the flying saucer, or aboard the craft, I don't think Carl Higdon actually gave a description of the craft, but he gave a description of the inside of the craft, and he remembers being examined by a large TV-like eye and looking through a screen to see the outside world. Carl Higdon never varied from his story either. He was given interviews. He was given um, hypnotic regression by... Dr. R. Leo Sprinkle, who was rather prominent in, in interviewing abductees. And he, uh, he was briefly on in, uh, an episode of In Search Of in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. I forget which. I'll have to look back. But he, again, never made anything big about it. He didn't try to sell books. He didn't try to go on tour or anything else. 
the the only thing that resulted from Carl Higdon's abduction was a brief spot on a TV show and a self-published book that his wife wrote, I believe, after Carl's passing. And again, 1973, Pat Roach. Pat Roach is an interesting case. She was, a at the time, a steel mill apprentice in Utah. She remembers being abducted along with, I believe, her children in the middle of the night. And she went under hypnotic regression with, again, R. Leo Sprinkle, James Harder from... APRO, I want to say APRO, the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. Uh, she, she was on a, well, her hypnotic regression recordings were on a number of shows. Everything from, again, In Search Of to UFOs Are Real, which is a great movie produced by the late Stanton Friedman. Great great analog synth music in that one and a few other documentaries and tv shows including the predecessor to in search of ufos it has begun hosted by rod serling and then again by the late rod serling with um jacques valet and a few others she always again held to her story but it changed slightly you could you could listen to interviews over the years and her story changes slightly much in the same way that betty hill's story changed over the years from her first abduction and regression to when she was i i guess making the ufo tours <laughs> for conventions and stuff. Which brings us to another 1970s case. Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, which occurred in October of 1973 in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Yet before we can dive into the actual things that happened to Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, we need to look at a few other events that happened around that time, within days of the abduction. On October 7th, 1973, in Mississippi, roughly 80 miles away from Pascagoula, Constable Charles Delk was receiving multiple calls from people about an, an unidentified object with blue and green lights. For the most part, he was dismissing the calls, but finally he went out to investigate one specific call from a woman. And naturally, when he arrived, the vehicle, the unidentified vehicle, had already vanished. So he was driving back, and he saw something floating above the treetops. It was round, glowing, and very close to his car. In fact, during the sighting, his car's radio, lights, and engine just cut out, stopped working, v very much like 
the first scenes in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And Delk reported this independently the night it happened. Now, it, it's interesting because, as I said, Delk was a constable. His position was given to him through an election. It was an elected position. Why would he put his job on the line by lying about seeing a UFO? That's it. You claim to see a UFO unless unless you're someone like Whitley Strieber who who can spin anything into a great story, like The Hunger, uh, or in this case, Communion, because we're talking about aliens. Uh, if you're just a, a a small town citizen in an elected position. Claiming you saw a UFO is not going to enhance your career. A few days later, on October 11th, 1973, in Pascagoula, Larry Booth, an Air Corps veteran who was a proprietor of a gas station, was checking his front door before going to bed that night. He had just finished watching Kung Fu on TV, which firmly places this in the early to mid-70s. And right there, as he was checking the door, he saw an object hovering above the road with red lights all around it. And it hovered for a little bit, and then it went over to the power station, I believe, and before zooming off into the sky. So we have two cases within days of each other, Constable Charles Delk on October 7th of 1973, and Larry Booth on October 11th of 1973. That same night... October 11th, two shipyard workers, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, were out fishing after a day's work. Uh, Charles Hickson, age 42, military veteran. He served in Korea. Calvin Parker, age 19. Calvin pretty much had his entire life ahead of him. So his his life experiences weren't many up to that point. Uh, they were fishing, and all of a sudden, they saw a craft. It kind of looked like a football, but it was, it was rounded at one side, and it had blue-green lights on either end. And they saw a door open. Now, the, the craft itself was hovering above the water. But suddenly a door opened and three creatures came out. And they floated. They floated. They did not walk. They floated towards Charles and Calvin. And they picked them up by the arms and floated them aboard the craft 
as a matter of fact, I'm going to let you hear about the abduction from Charles Hickson's mouth himself, not but a short time after the events took place. There was some kind of zipping sound, and when I turned around, in this area I hear, but 40 or 50 feet out there, it was some, some kind of crap, you know. It was it looked like it's going to come right onto the ground. But it, it came on down and hovered about oh, about a foot and a half or, or two feet off of the ground. But we didn't know what to do, you know. I, uh, the river behind us and and uh, that out there, not knowing what it was. So, and then before we uh, had time to really do anything, it seemed like an open appeared. Toward the end, it was, you know, toward us. And... The blue light, it had blue flashing lights as it was, you know, approaching the ground, but then they went out, and when the opening appeared, some source of light came from the inside, it was just almost blinding. In all of his interviews, up until the day he died, Hickson swore that while he was out, while he and Calvin were out getting tested for radiation, Sheriff Diamond leaked the story to the press, the local press, which grew to the national press. And then suddenly, not just reporters, but UFO investigators descended upon Pascagoula. You had James Harder, a person we mentioned earlier, coming down to give both Hickson and Parker, hypnotic regression. The man himself, J. Allen Hynek, came down to interview Hickson and Parker. Now, a little background on J. Allen Hynek. Some of you may know J. Allen Hynek as uh, the guy from that Project Blue Book series on the History Channel, which makes J. Allen Hynek's life out to be extremely dramatic. And while J. Allen Hynek's life was extremely interesting, it wasn't interesting in the way that is portrayed in that series. As a matter of fact, there's very little history in the History Channel series. J. Allen Hynek was in charge of Project Blue Book, for a brief period of time in the 60s. He was the guy that everyone would go to for a rational explanation of what had happened in all of these reported cases. He was the guy who used the term swamp gas, which the media ran with and is still used today to deride any outlandish spottings, sightings of UFOs. It, it has to be swamp gas, which swamp gas is, in fact, a thing, but it's not a big enough thing to cause that, a UFO sighting. So what Hickson and Parker described separately, and what's, there are a couple of things that set this UFO case apart from other abduction cases, First, you have Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, two individuals 
who obviously did not rehearse their stories in any way, but did not deviate from their stories. What they described from their different vantage points matched up with each other perfectly. They and, and this is where we get into the second part. Apart from matching stories from two witnesses, and multiple witnesses are key when people are investigating UFO sightings and UFO abductions. It, it's good to get input from multiple vantage points, right? If I tell you that I saw UFO, you say, wow, that's great. Are you telling me this so I'll buy you a drink? And my answer would be, yes, I would be. But the truth is, if you get multiple people saying they saw the same thing, then that corroborates the event a little bit, especially in a science that is as soft as ufology. Ufology? Ufology. It's not science. But the second part is how these creatures looked. You see, up until this point, the creatures we've seen in alien abduction reports have been little green men, little gray men, men who look just like us in every way, except maybe their lips are purple or their skin is silver. The Space Brothers, as Adamski would say, or maybe Nordic-looking people, you know, the little gray guys. The guys, as portrayed by Communion, only came about really when Communion did. If you go all the way back to the first reported UFO abduction, which was Antonio Villas-Boas, aliens are portrayed as regular people and the one alien that he happened to be abducted by was a buxom blonde woman with whom he made love so you can take or leave those stories or descriptions of the aliens but in the case of of charles hickson and calvin parker in pascagoula the aliens looked like while they acted like robots, they looked weird. They didn't have any eyes. They had a slit where the mouth should be. They didn't have ears, but rather they had little points where the ears should be and the same thing where the nose should be. It, was, it just came out to a point. And they looked like they were wearing skin or an outfit of some sort. It looked like elephant skin. It was all wrinkled. And their their feet were big and round like elephant's feet, and their hands were webbed, kind of like uh, uh, mittens. And their... So it, it was just one big round hand and you know, an, an opposable thumb. And long, long arms, and as we said, they floated 
this is this is weird this this is an outlier this does not line up with any other alien description from visitation or abduction cases or experiences that people had up until this point which sets the Pascagoula case apart from the others they made a humming noise I believe it was described as they 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 didn't speak they did not articulate anything and they pulled Calvin and and Charlie aboard and gave them an examination with if you'll remember the Carl Higdon case from Wyoming that I brought up towards the beginning of this show Hickson and Parker were also examined with a giant robotic eye. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let you listen to Charlie Hickson describe the examination in his own words right now. They had me uh, one on this arm like this, and on the other one, you know, they had my other arm like that. And they just, I just seemed to lift up to the same height they were off the ground, and, and we just moved into the crack. Now, inside, how did they how did they lay you out do you remember how it happened um yes uh they i didn't see any tables or chairs or anything in there i'm, I'm not saying it wasn't in there because the light was almost blinding but i didn't see any and when they when they carried me inside they seemed to, to just lean me back you know and uh this this eye well i keep referring to it as an eye it moved up to, in front of me about this close mm-hmm. And it started right at my eyes, looking me right in the eye. Uh-huh. And it seemed it hesitated there for a, uh, a few seconds, and it just started moving over my entire body. When they, they brought me uh, from the craft, that put lonely stair here, and they seemed to, they didn't drop me, you know, they just released me back to the ground. And uh, I fell, I, I don't know why my, my legs were weak, I don't know why it was the fright or what it was, but I, I fell onto the ground. And that's when I seen Calvin. He's standing right over here in this area, and he was standing facing the river with his arms outstretched like that, just like he was staring at something. Now, that's the extent of Charlie Hickson's story. Calvin Parker was fairly reticent to talk to anyone about what had occurred, which has led to some rather seamy theories about why why this 40-year-old dude and this 19-year-old dude were hanging out all the time away from their families. But I digress. The tr- the I'm not going to say the truth, but the perception is they were abducted. They were abducted. They were returned. Each person, when interviewed, told the same story and they did not waver from that story all throughout the 70s, all throughout the 80s. There is supposedly a tape recording of the interview of Charlie Hickson and Calvin Parker at the sheriff's office that was under seal. I've seen various or listened to various YouTube recordings that purport to be this secret tape and the audio is so muddled that you can't tell what it is in at least two versions and in the third version I found it was 
attached to a documentary that was produced and put out by Charlie Hickson himself. And I, I cannot tell if it is a recreation or not. As a matter of fact, I may just post that to the Facebook page so you can listen to it and give me your opinions. It, it's pretty interesting. Now, Charlie ended up giving presentations to people. He ended up going on tours, going to UFO conventions, giving his insights on what he thought these aliens were doing. And he had a slightly religious bent to it, which is not uncommon with abductees. He, he even put out a record in his own words, making an official statement to the public that this is what happened. He didn't actually earn much money from the record, and I will be posting that probably over the weekend to the Facebook page. But that that's that's it. That is that is the end of the story. Seemingly that is the end of the story. Forty-five years later, after the abduction, more witnesses came forward to tell their stories of what they saw that night from different vantage points. Now, whether these people were just trying to ride the hype of a UFO abduction 45 years after the fact is a possibility. But more than likely, it, it could be that these people actually did see something or they may just, in their own ways, want to keep the memory of Charles Hickson alive. Who knows? But back to Charles Hickson. Calvin Parker, for the most part, stayed under the radar, wanted nothing to do with this. He gave a few talks to people later on in his life, but for the most part, alien abduction especially the experience that he remembered and told to people, along with the one that his partner, Charlie, told, can probably mess up your life in internal thinking patterns pretty quick, whether it happened or not. If you believe you had that experience, which ultimately is what hypnotic regression reveals, not the truth, but what you perceive to be the truth. If that is what he perceives to have happened, then, yeah, that'll fuck you up. Charles Hickson, for the most part, as I said, went on tours and whatnot. But then a very, very curious thing happened. About half a year later, in January of 1974, Charles Hickson was out hunting, one of his favorite spots. He had his shotgun lying across his lap while he was eating a sandwich with an orange drink. And he saw a craft again in broad daylight. Very similar to what he and Calvin had seen in October of the previous year in 1973. And then he heard something in his mind. A voice. A voice. 
that said, We mean you no harm. We mean no one any harm. You may communicate with us later. You have endured. You have been chosen. There is no need for fear. We will communicate again. And that's where we'll pick up next time on the Mothball Prophecies. Thank you again. If you like the show, let me know. Give it a thumbs up. Listen to it on the Facebook page. Listen to it wherever fine podcasts are available. Share it with your friends. And, of course, you can follow me on Facebook. You all know where the page is now. You can email me directly at mothball at crescentcitymedia.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Mothball Show. It's a short handle. Apparently, Mothball Prophecies was already taken. Weird. So, as I leave you for this evening, please remember, a lot of our greatest treasures out there are musicians, bartenders, the people who deliver food every day, Money is tight all around, but these are necessary services for our sanity, for our mental and emotional health. So if you want to help out someone, look up your favorite musicians on Facebook. See if they have Venmo accounts. Give them a few dollars. Same thing with bartenders. Look up your bartenders. Ask if they have PayPal accounts. Tip a little extra when someone delivers you food. We all need to pull through this thing together. So, until next time, when we'll pick up with the continued adventures of Charles Hickson, as well as some strange incidents with young Calvin Parker, sleep tight.